This is Mike on the mic. We're going to do a very special podcast for you today. I got two interviews that we did recently, one with John Crowther. Uh, he's the creator of Rochelle, the teen cockroach. And then I also did one with uh, Justin McLaughlin. He is the uh, creator, director, writer of EOS 10, the uh, podcast, which is like a sci-fi kind of thing. It's uh, doctors on a space station in the future. So pretty cool. But I just wanted to give you a quick introduction, let you know what was coming up. We're going to start with the interview with John uh, Crowther here. Um, right now. Alright guys, welcome back to GGR Pirate. This is a very special edition of Michael the Mike because the website as you guys are all familiar with check us out great podcasts great articles all sorts of fantastic stuff this is a special uh, mic on the mic today because we are with a very special guest his name is john crowther john crowther is a writer he's a floridian he's a lawyer he's a dad he's a husband he just does a little bit of everything uh, does a great job at all those things so we've got him on today uh, having a little chat about uh, about comic books and some of the projects that he's working on. Say hi, everybody, John. Hi, everybody. Hey, you, oh, you forgot to throw in there also a Redskin. Hey, you know what? There is nothing wrong with that. Nothing, nothing whatsoever. And, and it, for anybody who was back from the 80s, I was a huge fan of Dave Butts. And uh, that's one of my mottos now with the book, because we're here to kick butts. <laughs> Which I, I think that's one thing that Dave Butts yelled out once during one of the Super Bowls. I hear you really, yeah. I... I grew up in that time when the Redskins were actually good, which if you're under the age of 30, you don't know what that is. There was a, there was a really good quote in an article that actually said, uh, if you're unfamiliar with a VCR is, then you're also unfamiliar with what a Washington championship is. And I was like, yeah, that's about right. But um, the one thing I know about Dave Butts is Dave Butts' head was so big that they actually had to custom make him his helmet. It's, he's had like the, apparently the biggest head that's ever been in the NFL. That's like it was just gigantic. They called him Pumpkinhead. <laughs> so john you have and when you sh- told me about this i mean gosh how long has it been since you came out with rochelle well that uh, almost exactly one year it wow. was uh yeah june of 2014 okay when you told me about rochelle and you were like hey it's rochelle the teenage cockroach i yep. kind of chuckled and i was like okay we'll see where this goes and i started reading it and i was like okay this is actually pretty good i like where this is going and the art is great but tell us a little about because i mean we're kind of doing this inside thing right now because we know all about it but tell our uh, listeners here uh, what your book is all about what's it's called uh 
give your web address where they can pick up copies, things like that. Okay. Well, the title um, you've kind of says is Rochelle the Teen Cockroach. And and I, I'm going to be honest, because and I'm going to surprise you with this one, because you may not have even known it. Um, what really, I mean, I've always been a, a fan of comics. I was a huge fan of comics back in the 80s and and, and kind of got away from it in the 90s. And, and as I hit my 40s, I kind of started getting back into, to, you know, what, what made me feel young again. And, uh, you know, one of the things I started doing is browsing sites like Indiegogo and Kickstarter, some of the some of the comic books that were being put out by independent writers. Because, I, like I said, I, I'd kind of gotten away from Marvel and DC and such. Mm-hmm. And one of the first ones I saw were you and Ben Shaw. Oh, geez. Aw. This is true. This is true. And really? I, and, yeah. And it was uh, Ethan Stone. And I thought it was a real neat concept. But I, So what I did was I reached out to you guys. I sent a message, and I was shocked when you wrote back. Now, I had no idea who you guys were. But immediately, and you probably remember this now, you and I started chatting on Facebook. And then I Ben... Do, yeah. And then I'm like, you know, these are great guys, you know, and, and I have this great idea. I think it's a great idea, at least to me. Why don't I try it, too? <laughs> you know, so I had my idea. I put it together and, and I'll, I'll get to what it's about. Uh, but what that I did was I, I wrote my idea about about Rochelle. And then I thought of some of the the comic book artists that I had kind of, you know, followed a lot when I was a kid. And one of them was a guy named Del Barris. Mm-hmm. And Del had done a lot of work for D.C., in Marvel UK on uh, titles like Blue Beetle and uh, Death's Head. And then he got into animation and uh, did the Transformers TV show. Oh, cool. Uh, the Amazing Spider-Man, G.I. Joe, a couple of the others. And I wrote him a letter and with my idea. And surprisingly, about two months later, I got a letter back from Dell uh, with a piece of art that he had drawn for me. And he said, I love the idea. Let's do it. I'll come out of retirement. That Wow. So here, here's a guy that story. I had, yeah, here's a guy that I, I mean, I just admired his work and loved it as a kid and just wrote a blind letter to him and, 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 and I hooked him. So, That's great. Yeah, so and then from there, he got me in contact with the Heikies, Mark and Stephanie Heike, uh-huh. who are with uh, uh, AC Comics here in Florida. And, you know, I spoke with Mark on the phone and told him what it was all about. He said, I love the idea. And then he ran our first issue, uh, a zero, issue number zero with uh, his FemForce issue um back in march this year and that kind of got us on the on the table and uh then from there i reached out again this is people ask me how i do it a lot of it's just having faith and reaching out this time i reached out to uh to antarctic press Mm -hmm. and uh just sent a blind copy of rochelle over there and then i got a surprise email from uh joe dunn who's the uh, one of the founders him and his brother ben dunn uh, and, and Joe's actually, I think he's sitting CEO and president of, of Antarctic now. He wrote me back and said, I want to see this in print. Wow. That's uh, fantastic. From, yeah. And then from there, uh, last, probably about two weeks ago, three weeks ago, I signed a contract with Antarctic Press. So, so now, yeah, we'll see Rochelle, you know, coming out as a trade uh, graphic novel. We're thinking around November, December of this year. But what's Rochelle about? I know you asked me that. Yeah. Uh, it, it's it's a little it's a, it's a unique story. It, what happened is Rochelle's mother was a single mom who wanted a child, but she didn't necessarily want uh, the hassles of having a husband. So she goes to a fertility clinic and drops off her egg. The egg is fertilized, and unbeknownst to her or the doctors there, it's also contaminated by a cockroach. Oh my god! <laughs> so. So uh, when she gives birth and this egg is put back in her, she gives birth and she gives birth to Rochelle uh, and, and Rochelle has little cockroach wings. 
Now, as Rochelle gets older, she learns to uh, control her powers a little bit better. For instance, you'll see when you look at the art, it looks like she's wearing armor, but that actually is an exoskeleton that she can generate when she needs to. Wow. And, and so she can generate this exoskeleton. She has enhanced senses and strengths. She can fly. One of the neatest powers I think she's got is, if you recall, some of the powers that Aquaman had, he had the ability to telepathically conjure an army of sea creatures. Well, she can do that with cockroaches. Okay, so very similar to what uh, Ant-Man can do when he's got the Ant-Man suit on, which we're going to be absolutely kind of tie that in because we're going to be seeing that one coming out here pretty soon too. Yeah, absolutely. And but one of the things that you know people ask me too, you know, what made me come up with that idea, and, and I kind of think I, I like to, to to let people know there's kind of an underlying story to to Rochelle as well. That being that you know just because people are different or or have characteristics that are different from ours doesn't make them any less than we are. Wow, that's or, a great that's a great message. Yeah, and, and, and so what I did was I, I grabbed, you know, what you could think of as probably the most innocent thing on the planet, a young teenage girl, mm-hmm. and then combined her with one of the most grotesque to some people things on the planet, a cockroach. And then where does she get her powers? What makes her special? The traits that she gets actually from the cockroach. Yeah. The ability to fly, the ability to generate the exoskeleton and enhance senses and strength and such. And and, and it has an, an overriding – it overrides a lot of the stories that you'll see a lot of these side characters uh, mm-hmm. That come up in there in very similar situations. Her best friend in school, a girl named Angel, uh, the ch- kids chant at her lopsided, lopsided because she limps. And you find out later in the story she throws off her overcoat, and you find out the reason she limps is because she's built more like a she-hulk on one side. So the part that makes her limp, limp and, 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 and ridiculed is actually a strength. Wow. So, and, so you know, while that's not the basis of every story, it's just kind of an under underwriting theme. Oh yeah, absolutely. You know, and when we were doing the stuff with Ethan Stone, when we had first come up with it, I never really had any underlying things other than I think it would be cool to, you know, have a dude fighting demons with cool weapons. (laughs) And as it grew, I mean, just like anything else, you know, you want to have a cool premise, but then you want to have the story be the backbone, be the guts of the entire thing. Right. And people started mentioning to me, they were like, well, it's so odd that Ethan is so science-based and Seth is so very uh, religious and holy. And I was like, why is that weird? And he was like, well, because they're friends and they wouldn't be friends in real life. And I was like, so you're telling me that every single friend that you have believes everything that you believe. You guys are on the same page for every single thing ever. And he stopped for a second. And he was like, well, I guess. And I was like, this is more of a lesson that it doesn't matter what other people believe. You can still be friends. You can have disagreements about things and it doesn't sour your relationship. You can appreciate other people's opinions. And Ben was like, where did you come up with that? And I was like, well, he, I just kind of came up with that as he was saying that. I just kind of made that up. And he was yeah. like, but that kind of fits our story, too. And I was like, well, <laughs> you know, hey, it's – I guess I know it's, what I'm talking about, Ben, don't I? And he was like, yeah, I guess you do. <laughs> it's true, though. It's yeah, true. Absolutely. It, but I, I think, you know, I think it's an important message to pass on. And and um, and hopefully people will get a little bit of that from the story. Oh, yeah. Well, that's great. I mean, and that's one of the things why I wanted to talk to you about this, John is because that's kind of what GGR is all about, too, is about everybody gets a voice. Everyone is allowed to voice their opinion and say how they feel without having to be shouted down or anything like that. Um, and I loved that that was part of your message with Rochelle, is that you can be different and your differences actually define you. They exactly. make you who you are and not make you an outcast. They make you exactly. – they improve you, basically. Well, well and, and, and another thing I saw, a shortcoming, at least to me, and other people might not see it, mm-hmm. but I, uh, I see that there's a shortage of really strong female characters out there. I, I've got yeah. a 16-year-old daughter, you know, and, and, and no knock on it, but her, her favorite characters are, are, are uh, Batman and, and uh, Deadpool. Mm-hmm. But there's no strong female character out there for, for 
kids really to, to attach to. I mean, I guess there's Harley Quinn, but that's not, you know. Yeah, but she's crazy. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so, you know, it, it kind of gives another option out there. You know, she's yeah. not a sidekick. She is the, she's a sarcastic, tough girl. Yeah, and, and she's not the stereotype. That's the big thing with me. That was another thing I loved about it, too, exactly. is that her costumes are not those typical, let's make it all tight oh. spandex and show off her goodies, basically. So exactly. It's it's more realistic, like something that a, an actual superhero would wear, not something that's exposing midriff, which makes no sense whatsoever. <laughs> exactly. All right. So check out Rochelle. What's what's the website, John? Because I know you just created a website. Yeah, we just set up a website. It's uh, www. dot com, and we've been on. We've got a presence on Facebook. People can always find us on Facebook just by typing in the name as well. Yeah, and we'll actually put this up on the show notes too. We'll put your link to your. Uh, to your Facebook page and to the website as well. Yeah, and um, I invite everyone to come check it out. Oh yeah, absolutely. Yeah, definitely check it out. So, can they pick up issues on your website? You not from me on the website right now. The only issues that we have are the back issues that were done through AC Comics. Okay. And you can still pick them up actually from AC Comics at their website, which is uh, www. I always stumble when I say this. Uh, uh, accomics.com dot com mm-hmm. uh, by by ordering issue one seventy of FemForce. Now, if people contact me directly through um, either the website or through the Facebook page, I do have a few convention copies still. Nice. That okay. I can, which is the nice thing about that is you can get a nice signed copy from me. Though. Well, there you go. See, and then it'll be worth dozens and dozens of dollars. It'll worth day. hundreds of pennies, yeah. Hundreds of pennies one day. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so definitely check out uh, Rochelle, the Teen Cockroach, whenever you guys get a chance. There's another project that you are working on that I was – there's one of our guys that writes for our website. He does our uh, podcast with us sometimes too. His name is Vic. Yeah. Vic and I share a love of 1980s WWF wrestling. Oh, who doesn't? Who doesn't? I know, right? Like <laughs> to this day, when Hulk Hogan doesn't matter what he's doing, I don't care. Anytime he gets on TV and he puts that, you know what, brother? And he starts doing that. I'm just like a little kid all over again. I'm just sitting on the floor staring up at him. And I'm like, oh, he's going to rip his shirt. He's going to do it. Well, I mean, those wrestlers from the 80s, those were living, breathing comic book characters. They truly were. Yeah. And I just, I can't get enough of it. And you are working on something that I, I let me admit, I am incredibly jealous that you're working on this project. But why don't you tell us a little bit about it? Yeah, I'm actually jealous of myself. <laughs> I was so impossible? Yeah, I was so excited when this happened. I have to like pinch myself and say, how did you pull this off? Yep. Um, but I had I was mutual friends with a fellow by the name of Nikolai Volkov, who if, if you're people who are fans of wrestling in the 80s, I'm sure they know Nikolai. Nikolai was your big Russian who would come out and he would demand that everyone stand and, 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 uh, and recognize his rendition of the Soviet national anthem. He was world tag team champion with uh, the Iron Sheik. And he was the, actually the first, the first fella ever, f- professional wrestler, ever to sell out Madison Square Garden with Bruno San Martino. And well, I someone put me in touch with him because they said, you know, Nikolai has talked in the past about wanting to do a comic book about his life. And uh, they said, you know, we see what you're doing and, and, and we know you like wrestling. Maybe you ought to give him a call. So I picked up the phone, gave Nikolai a call, had a nice long talk with him. And uh, right now we've actually put together the script and, and, and we've sent it off to a few publishers. But we're collaborating on a, 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 a kind of like a one off graphic novel, probably about 100, you know, 120 pages on his life, which is a very, very interesting life without, without giving away the whole story. Cause I want everybody to get the book. Um, you see a lot of the characters that are in, the, you know, all the wrestling organizations and obviously you know, it's, it's entertainment. So a lot of the characters are created, but 
Nikolai wasn't really created. Nikolai is truth. He really did defect uh, at the age of 17 from communist Yugoslavia to the United States and really lived that American dream. And uh, he went from escaping, you know, communism to at one point, he was the world champion. WWE really, really, really a true inspiring story. Now, and where his family even came from, his great grandfather was a bodyguard to Emperor Franz Joseph of the Austro-Hungarian Empire. Oh wow, wow! In the 1890s, I mean, a really interesting story. This guy. Oh yeah, absolutely. Like, and as soon as I told Vic about it, I was like, "Hey, I'm going to be doing an interview with a guy who's going to be writing a comic book about Nikolai Volkov." He was like, "Oh my God, is Nikolai Volkov going to be there too?" <laughs> I was like, "If he is, I will make sure I call you. We'll we'll figure something out. If we ever get to talk to him, I'm sure I can get you in the room so you can, you know, pass out like those girls from the '60s when they saw the Beatles like fan themselves and oh yeah." So yeah, so it's been really exciting though uh, working with Nikolai on it. Now yeah. we're just kind of in a and now we're just kind of in a holding pattern and to see what kind of interest we get from uh, from publishers. We have we have one publisher who has a solid interest. In the good idea I told Nikolai is we'll just keep we'll just keep talking and all offers are out there and just kind of move forward. And Dell would be our artist that too. Oh, that's great. That is great. Well, John, this has been a blast, man. I really enjoyed talking to you. I'm glad we were able to get some information out about this stuff. We'll definitely have to have you on again, but uh, it sounds like our connection is starting to break up here a little bit. So, uh, again, this is John Krauser. We will have all the information on uh, the website for this uh, as soon as we possibly can. Uh, but, John, thanks again for calling in, man. Thanks. Thanks for, thanks for having me. No problem. All right. So you got to hear uh, the interview we did with John Crowther, uh, creator of Rochelle the Teen Cockroach. He's working on that new project with Nikolai Volkov. Um, interesting stuff. Really cool stuff. John's a great guy. And that story he told about how he found me and Ben, I, I knew part of it. I mean, obviously, because he was conversing with us, but I didn't realize that we'd inspired him so much, so that was really cool to find out. But yeah, um, this is, like I said, a very special GGR. We're going to kind of just focus on doing our interviews that we did, because um, the big thing with this, when we created this website, was just a way to help other people, but also give everyone a voice. Now, granted, um, the next person, Justin McLaughlin, <laughs> doesn't have a problem finding his own voice. He's got his own podcast uh eos 10 um he's a writer he's worked for a bunch of different uh, organizations as well really gotten his name out there but just a really incredible uh, idea that he has and just a and really nice guy so we're gonna go ahead and jump right into that interview uh with the creator of eos 10 justin mclaughlin Tech 300 years ahead of the future, and we've got Justin on the podcast today. Justin, go ahead and say hi to everybody. Hi, hi. thanks for having me. Oh yeah, not a problem. So give us a little bit of background on uh, EOS 10. Tell us what's uh, what that's all about. Yeah, like you said, EOS 10 is a radio play. It's uh, science fiction, science fiction comedy. Um, you know, some people have compared it to Grubs set in space. I've never seen that show, so I, you know, I can't vouch for that comparison. Um, yeah, and it's fully scripted. We're we just finished our second season, 
and looking toward our third and we have a full cast of I think we I think we had a total of nine actors on this season uh, playing various roles parts different things there are four main characters um, four main actors that we work with so but yeah it's been really exciting it's been a lot of fun we've 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 had fun watching um, fans find us and, and that's been I think the best part I don't know that I would have had the energy to go through with the second season without uh, people uh, enjoying it so much oh yeah that's always the biggest high too is when you see that somebody's actually enjoying and appreciating what you're working so hard on always. yeah so where did you come up with the idea for the show you know um, it was I was looking at trying to uh, create something in this vein uh, more of a situation comedy and it really is the result of a lot of brainstorming I think I know a lot of doctors that helped um, I'm also a big science fiction fan huge Star Trek fan so I'm sure the inf- I've heard Deep Space Nine references from people who listen to it uh, so yeah it just it kind of it was just something that I wanted to do. I had never really worked in this format in an audio or radio play format, so it was a unique challenge to pursue. Okay. Well, what made you decide to go just all audio instead of maybe going with like a YouTube series or something like that? Okay. So I mean, this is not something that I you that I could have done um, even as a web series without a significant capital investment. Yeah. Audio is significantly cheaper in a lot of ways because we stand in a room and talk to microphones as opposed to building sets. I'm sure there was a way to do it and maybe do it relatively cheaply, but this was this was a chance to do something that I couldn't have done in any other scope. Oh yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's one of those things too where you can ride the line of cheaply made and poorly made and that's yeah. the video spectrum can be pretty frightening. So yeah, and, and I guess you get to play on people's imaginations too when it comes to the uh, the audio side of things. Definitely, you know, I mean, one of the, the funniest things is watching people on Tumblr um, draw fan art and what they think these characters look like. Um, and you know, my characters ended up with pink hair somehow. I, I don't, I'm not sure. That's not something we've ever talked about in in the show or brought up in the show but I think the very first image of him someone was like oh I drew I drew him with pink hair I don't know why and then every single image since then has been pink hair on this guy so yeah it's kind of awesome yeah well it's the future you know bright colors crazy hairdos yeah that makes sense so you were saying that Star Trek and Scrubs um you said you got a little bit of uh, Deep Space Nine in there too um kind of have been coming out of this as saying it reminds uh, those who listen of it. Were there any things that really inspired you um, when you were writing this, when you were coming up with this? I think I, I've always, I grew up watching um, Joss Whedon shows, uh, Buffy the Vampire Slayer and Angel. So I definitely think those influences are there. And what I do, I think we're similar in a lot of ways. Um, I think, you, you know, we're, we're listed as a comedy and it's, it's, it's pretty funny, and uh, but people, uh, we read the reviews, will often say that, you know, but they deal with these topics that are really heavy. You know, two, one of the characters was a drug addict, one's an alcoholic. So, I mean, and they're, they're talking about recovery and dealing with those things. And I think that's sort of Whedon-esque in a way to, to look at these really heavy topics, but then, you know, tell a joke after you do something really sad. And so I think those influences are there personally. Um, 
I, I think the Deep Space Nine reference has come out simply because it is a space station and you know, my my knowledge of space stations is probably pretty much limited <laughs> to what I saw in Deep Space Nine. So you make references to Deep Space Nine and maybe um and I just lost the name of it, but the one from Star Trek Two where uh, Doctor Carol Marcus and David Marcus were on. Um, oh, why can yeah. I not remember that one? I don't remember. Regular yeah. one. That's what it was. Regular one. Yeah, yeah. I know you said you're a big Star Trek fan. I am too. Um, and that's one of the things that I, I talk about a ton in this. And one of the things that you mentioned, and we mentioned it at the beginning of our interview here, we talked about the the book that you wrote, um, uh, Technology: Star Trek Tech, Three Hundred Years Ahead of Its Future. Um, tell me a little bit about that, and then I kind of want to ask you a couple of questions about that, too. Sure. Yeah, so the book came out of um, some stories I did when the the uh, new Star Trek movie started back. This was when I was living in San Diego, and I started as a journalist and was writing about technology. And it the book looks at um, some of the technology that we have now that we saw for the first time on the shows, uh, some technology that we may have soon. We also, you know, I jump a lot into, and this maybe this is a little more relevant with the new Jurassic Park movie, but you know, Ian Malcolm's spiel in Jurassic Park, you know, you 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 were so concerned about whether you could do it, you never stopped to think, should you? So there's a lot of discussions about some of the technology that we saw on the show that maybe we wouldn't, we're not mature enough as a society, as a culture, to handle yet, and those okay. kinds of issues, yeah. So maybe like, and this is just the, as soon as you mentioned those, the first things that I thought of were the, because you're seeing a lot of people debate the idea of transporters and saying, well, is that really that person that's being transferred or is it a copy of that person and what's happening to the matter that they copied and replicated and sent somewhere else Mm -hmm. and getting into the whole cloning thing, saying that you can't really send people, disassemble them and then reassemble them and not have something change. Yeah. Well, I mean, yeah, there's a ton we don't know about or how we exist, right, and what that would do. And it's, I mean, it's funny, you bring up the transporter. If you, if you actually look at the history on the show, the transporter was one of the last major technologies that they actually developed. They had faster-than-light travel and force fields, things that are still impossible for us right now, before, long before they got to transporters. And um, the, the technological challenges, even if how they do it on the show is possible or still so far beyond our scope. The transporter is one of the things that I, I think will be a while before we see, but yeah, yeah there's a, there, the ethical questions with it. It's just, there, there's so many things that we don't know. And I think it was enterprise that I think maybe dealt a little bit with this because they dealt more with the development of the transporter on that show. And That's true. Yeah. And you got to see their weapons develop kind of as the show went on too. from, yeah, definitely. And I know that Dr. McCoy was infamous for being not a huge fan of the transporter in, in, in general. Um, right, yeah. he didn't want his molecules scrambled all over the galaxy. So, yeah. And I mean, some of the things that we're learning about quantum physics seems to suggest, you know, what you were mentioning earlier about the copying. I mean, we're, we're working now with quantum teleportation of, of basically data, very small amounts of information. And it's, yeah, it raises a lot of interesting questions that, Unfortunately, I'm not sure we'll get the answers to in our lifetimes. Uh, I could be wrong. We we we're developing at a really remarkable clip, so I could be surprised. Someone could surprise me sometime soon, but we'll yes. see. Absolutely. 
Um, so we were talking about, and you said that this kind of coincided with the most recent, essentially like reboot of the Star Trek series in the movie form. What's your take on those? Like the first, the first two that we've seen, Star Trek and then Star Trek Into Darkness. First two movies, you know, um, as as movies, I found them entertaining. I think it was an, it it was probably a good choice, as much as maybe I, I didn't love it at first to sort of reset that timeline so they could branch out on their own. Mm-hmm. I will tell you, um, I felt like the second movie to me demonstrated more be a it felt more of like an homage then uh, we need to prove a point as I felt the kind of the first movie was. I don't know if I'm making any sense, but I felt like maybe there's a little bit more, a little bit more respect for what had come before them in the second movies. But, you know, as, as entertainment, I was entertained. So I don't have any complaints there. <laughs> yeah. I got to say like, I, um, and I, and it was one of the first articles that we wrote when we uh, created GGR. I wrote an article about my take on that. I really enjoyed the first one. I thought it was interesting I was a little hesitant because I felt the same way. It's like, I really enjoyed this as a kid. Why do you have to go back and reset everything? Why not continue on or tell it in a different way? And I guess they kind of did that with saying that it was an alternate timeline and that old Spock was there. Um, But the second one I felt was so good up to a point. It was such a great analogy for what was going on, the war on terror, essentially. And then... um, Khan being on and spoiler alert if, if nobody's listened to this or seen the movie yet um, hopefully you have at this point but when he was on um, Kronos and they had to go get him that very reminiscent of Osama bin Laden and uh, Pakistan and Afghanistan but then after that I felt it was really derivative of Star Trek 2 and there were parts of it that were kind of derivative of Star Trek uh, Nemesis which wasn't really even that good to be derivative in the first place right yeah but I still love the characters and I think the Oh yeah, I, I think Chris Pine as Kirk was incredible. What an incredible casting job yeah. that was! Yeah, that, I feel like he's been spot on. Yeah, definitely, definitely a good option for that. And... Yeah. Um, were you as? I wouldn't say devastated. Devastated is the wrong word. But were you as as upset when the the news of um, Leonard Nimoy's passing was announced? You know, I. <laughs> Yeah, I wouldn't say devastated. It was, I mean, definitely sad. It was, yeah. especially you no know, seeing him again in the the new movies, and just I'm at least glad that we had that opportunity. You know, that he got to come back, got to bring that character back and do what he did. So, I mean, I think that kind of oh, what's the word I'm looking for? It kind of made it a little bit easier. You know, just it almost know. validated those movies, right? Yeah, definitely. I mean, his, his, it's like his stamp of approval. Exactly. exactly. Did you ever see the um, – he, he was on Saturday Night Live. He was on Weekend Update right after the movie came out. Oh, no. I didn't see that. And if you get a chance, look it up. It's one of the funniest things ever. But And pardon my language, but at one point he's on the Weekend Update and he's like, you know, a lot of old Trekkies are not – appreciative of the new movies and all i gotta say is these people are dickheads and hearing <laughs> leonard nimoy call everyone dickheads was was one of the funniest things that i had ever heard but um yeah it was yeah like you said i mean it kind of kind of brought everything together the fact that he was saying hey these movies are good you sh-, you know i'm i'm in them and he was i mean at one point he wanted his character killed off that's why they killed him off in star trek 2 um so for somebody like that who kind of was at, at odds with his history with star trek to sign off on it was was pretty good right yeah so what uh what do we have in store for for eos 10 
Ah, great question. Um, so yeah, we've uh, we just wrapped up our, our second season, and we we I am not a one. I am not uncomfortable with ambiguity and leaving things a little up in the air. So there are definitely some things that we left up in the air in season two that I know people would be really disappointed if we didn't come back and finish. So I, the hope is at this point that we'll, in the fall, uh, be in production in some way, again, on new work for EOS 10. Not exactly sure what form that will take. Uh, you know, I have a great cast. I have a great team, and I want to keep working with them. And the, I'm, I, there, there are definitely more stories to tell. Um, I, we actually, the one thing we did do this season is we brought in additional writers, and uh, that was kind of that was a huge help to me. And it, I think, brought new perspectives and, and new stories. So I'm excited to continue that and see what more they can do with these characters. Oh yeah, absolutely. I mean, a fresh take on things is always, it's always an interesting thing. But um, we'll definitely give us um, like the website. We'll um, tell everybody about it. Tell us where we can find EOS Ten uh, if we're not on iTunes. But uh, I mean, obviously, you can just search EOS Ten on, which is E O S, and then the numeral uh, ten. Yeah. Um, on iTunes, that's how I found it. Yeah, it's uh, we all the episodes are on well on iTunes and then at our website you can listen as well, which is just eos10.com. Uh, we're on SoundCloud, uh, so it's I think SoundCloud.com/eos10, and then pretty much any podcast app that is out there, you should be able to find us because they kind of all feed from iTunes. And uh, Stitcher is another big one. I know a lot of people listen on Stitcher. If you have listeners out there listening right now on Stitcher, we are on there as well. Um, we're hoping maybe at some point to be on YouTube. I know there's, it's not a traditional podcasting platform, but a lot of podcasts actually move to YouTube eventually. So we'll see if we can get that going. Yeah. I mean, nothing wrong with trying to put yourself on every possible channel you possibly can. So, all right. Well, Justin, thank you so much for coming on the uh, podcast today. We definitely appreciate it. Uh, good luck to you with EOS 10, but you guys get a chance. I mean, it's it's enjoyable. It's fun. I mean, if you're listening to this podcast anyways, we already know that you like sci-fi. We know that you like nerdy stuff. Give it a listen. Um, definitely tell them what you think, too. But thanks yeah. again for coming on, Justin. Thank you. I appreciate it. Not a problem. All right, guys. So as you can hear in the background, we've got um, – this is music from Star Trek Three: The Search for Spock, and it – kind of ties in for two reasons here one we're uh wrapping up the interview with um justin mclaughlin he was a big trekkie we talked and nerded out about that for a minute but also too um it just happened yesterday unfortunately but um the composer of this great music in the background um james horner passed away he was in a uh, plane crash and he was killed unfortunately so i just wanted to talk about that for just a minute here um because this song in particular is from one of my favorite scenes in Star Trek of all time. It's uh, in Star Trek Three when they're they're stealing the Enterprise. It is one of the coolest scenes uh, in all of the Star Trek movies by far, um, as you can hear in the background. Um, but just in general, we need to give tribute to uh, Mr. Horner. James Horner was an incredible composer. Um, if you liked movies at any point in the '80s, in the '90s, in the 2000s, this guy wrote the soundtrack for it um his first one his first real big one was star trek to the wrath of khan 
He did Star Trek 3. He did... I mean, a little bit of everything. Um, he did Cocoon. He did Aliens. He did An American Tale, which everybody remembers the songs uh, from that one. He did Batteries Not Included, Project X, Willow, Red Heat, um, Honey, I Shrunk the Kids, Field of Dreams, which has got amazing music, Glory. Um, he's just been a little bit everywhere. And that was just the stuff in the 80s. He did uh, Patriot Games in the 90s. He did... Um, I'm just looking through his list right now on Wikipedia. He did Braveheart, which is an incredible soundtrack. He did Apollo 13. He did Jumanji. He, uh, he did Avatar, remember that? Uh, he worked with James Cameron a lot. A Beautiful Mind. Um, Legend of Zorro. Uh, he did The Amazing Spider-Man just recently. Um, but definitely a great man, a great composer, great musician. Um, so hats off to... Uh, to James Horner uh, for all the work that he did for all us nerdy guys that love movies and soundtracks and stuff like that. So what I'm going to do is, out of respect for him, we're going to end the podcast early. Well, not early, but I'm going to end it now um, and just let my favorite, one of my favorite songs of his, one of the most stirring moments from Star Trek, one of the, and it was voted to one of the Star Trek fans' favorite moments of all time. I'm going to let this music play out um, for its entirety. Uh, in, in tribute to James Horner. So uh, this has been Mike on the Mic. My name is Mike Lunsford. Check out the website when you get a chance. www.greatgeekrefuge.com But rest in peace, Mr. Horner. This has been a GDR Pirate Radio Network production. Woohoo!